This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, provincial affairs reporter Emma Graney, and this is the Money, Money, Money edition. I'm sorry, not an imaginative title this week. I could sing it if you like, but you know that doesn't seem to always go down as well as You're I You're talking hope. The, the disco money, money, money? Obviously. Yes. Is there any other kind of money, money, money? Uh, I don't think there is. There's that one by, oh, what's, what's her name? English singer with B.O.B. the rapper. It's not about the money. M.I.A. Money. money. <laughs> M.I.A. No, it's not M.I.A. So anyway, with me. <laughs> See, we're getting off to a, a music, musical debate start. Yeah. yeah, It's been going that way all morning so far. So with me today, uh, Claire Clancy, who's with me down at the ledge right now. Hello, Emma. Uh, hello, Claire. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Excellent. Uh, health reporter Keith Dryan. Good morning. How are you? I- I'm lovely. I'm lovely. Had yeah. to race in this morning. Dropped dogs off at daycare. That's my <laughs> life right now. Doggy daycare. Doggy daycare. Yeah. <laughs> Puppies. Yeah. And Dave Breckenridge. How's it going? Good, mate. How are you? Fantastic. Everyone seems kind of harried this morning. It was kind of like everyone just kind of ran in going, I'm here. That's good work, guys. It's Friday. Yeah, I guess so. So today we are talking about money in a few different ways. We're going to talk about the UCP caucus, which is facing a deficit. And um, if it doesn't make some drastic changes, well, it can't technically fall into deficit. We'll get into this. But anywho, it has to make some drastic changes, including potential layoffs. Also going to briefly talk about the province's Q1 financials. There was nothing surprising there, so probably won't spend an awful long time in it. And also the free tickets that Katie Lang was going to give to Jason Kenny, and he turned them down. He could have saved a bunch of cash, you guys, but... Um, not a country music fan, I guess. I guess not. <laughs> I guess not. Um, let's, first of all, you know what? Let's talk about the UCP uh, deficit right now. This was a story that came out, I guess, late last night. Yes. Uh, you guess. You wrote it. I yeah, did. you should know. <laughs> I did. It did. I'm 100% sure that it <laughs> was published on the internet last night and in this morning's paper. So basically, the United Conservative Party caucus is facing a potential deficit of $337,000 if it doesn't make some changes. Now, it's worth noting here that caucuses actually can't run up a deficit. Uh, not like the government can kind of be like, eh, it's cool, whatever, no worries. It's cool, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. But um, caucuses are not allowed to do that. They get a budget that they have to work within. So unless they make changes and actually start saving some cash, they're going to have to lay people off. And that's actually how they're thinking that they're going to deal with this deficit. Keith, you're at the ledge for a long time. Did you ever hear of caucuses? Time. <laughs> um, 
he says. <laughs> yeah. Flashbacks. <laughs> uh, well, no, as you say, they, they have to work within their budget. There was a lot of complaints at times from various parties that they didn't have enough money to work with, didn't have enough money for researchers, um, uh, people that prepare their, their member statements, uh, questions for question period, and so on. Uh, and they felt that this was unfair because uh, they didn't have the resources to match the government and really take them on on some issues. But I've never heard of anyone actually going over budget. Uh, maybe the occasional member, MLA, they, they also, MLAs also have their own um, funds to, to run offices and so on. Yeah. But uh, no, this is a first. Uh, this is, it's an unusual situation, though, where you've got two parties merging together and having to figure out uh, how to pay for things with a slightly reduced uh, amount of money, right? Because it, it's not the PCs and the, and the, the Wild Rose just combining the funds they yeah. had. They have to make do with less now. Yeah, because of course they've lost Derek Fildebrand, um, which is about well fifty grand in the pot. They've lost um, Starkey, which was another fifty grand. Uh, PCs they lost one of the leadership allowances as well, and some of the research that comes along with that. So they didn't just smoosh their budgets together, but the budgets had to be rejigged when they merged. Were you surprised, Dave, about this news? I was kind of surprised. I like it, more surprised that it actually happened. That regardless of who the party was more surprised that a party was running a deficit and i you know i assume they wouldn't be allowed to do that and how do they actually go over budget when they only i assume they only have a set amount of money i'm not sure how the process works but do they spend stuff and then submit expense claims to the lao i like how does that so i'm surprised that procedurally it could actually happen and then doubly surprised at who it was because you know the whole fiscal responsibility and all that personal responsibility, all that stuff, right, that goes along with, with being the United Conservative Party. And you think, how is that possible? What's, you know, I thought you guys were supposed to be the guys that don't do that or watch out for taxpayers. Exactly. And I'm unclear exactly when they figured this out. It seems mm-hmm. like it's kind of late in the game at this point, like we're a month into this merger now that uh, did they not realize that this was an issue going forward, that they wouldn't have the same kind of funds that they had. And it sucks because if it does mean some people are going to lose their jobs, you know, obviously that's a, that's a tough thing. But um, it, it seems like this caught them off guard, which I don't quite understand. The argument is... Um that it's coming from the Wild Rose side, that there was a $322,000 overspend, if you will. And as to your process question there, Dave, so it's, it's, it is weird, right? Because you can't go into deficit. But much like when you look at Q1 financials, so it's kind of like a forecast that if they keep spending the way they are spending, they won't have enough money to pay the bills. That's how you would think about this. So okay. they're facing a hole if they don't do something but they don't really have the choice of not doing something, you know. Um, What they could do, one of the third options they had, uh, so laying off staff, asking MLAs to dive into their allowances and kind of plug up the the hole here. The third option was they could have gone to the legislature and asked for an interim supply bill. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, okay. Well, I mean, I don't think it would have passed. And can you imagine the UCP doing that? Going to the NDP and asking for more money? Yeah. Yeah. I don't reckon that would have worked out too well, to be honest. Would have been funny, though. Yeah, it would have been funny. When are they making decisions about how to move forward, like if they are going to cut staff? So basically yesterday they made some decisions that they were going to try and pursue the job cuts and the MLAs diving into their allowances. But we don't know how many people will be cut yet. No. No, and I mean, the meetings that they were having yesterday, 
and sorry, further to your point earlier about how this kind of happened and why they're only aware about it now. So the argument is that Wild Rose came to the table with less money than they expected them to have. Um, and that's why they're facing this situation now. The PCs also came with less money than expected, about $16,000 less than expected because they lost their leader allowance and that, that came with some um, some research cash as well. One of the things that jumped out for me uh, was the number of staff that the UCP mm. has compared mm-hmm. to the NDP. Yeah. And I'm just curious, is that a product of them merging two parties together? that they have so many staff or is that just an anomaly? I think in a large part it is because they have 38 staffers and the NDP caucus has 24, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, Yeah, and because we can't forget, of course, they did. They merged. They smushed together. So by the very nature of smushing together, you end up with more staff and then they had to figure out you've got two people doing the same job, so what do you do with them? And that's another interesting part of this as well. How do you figure out who you're letting go? Are they the ones who... Are they the PC side? Are they the Wild Rose side? Are they the ones who have certain more progressive values? Are they the really conservative ones? It's That in itself is a whole other bit of twisting, curling they, political intrigue. But they've had some time to figure that out as well. You know, like if you do have two people doing the same job, then surely by now they should know that they needed to make cuts and quickly... You would think, but I. The other interesting part of this story that you wrote, Emma, is the fact that they can dip into their member services budget. Th- yeah. That's a pot of money that is not supposed to go to caucus spending. That's for a, an individual member to run their offices and so on. But they, I think your story said it can go. They can dip forty thousand dollars yeah. from their member services budget to the caucus. Yeah. That's a bit of a loophole that I wasn't aware of. Um, but I mean, you you did the story. What's the take up on that? How how likely are they going to get these MLAs to contribute? So the folks I spoke with um, thought it was unlikely they would get a whole bunch of buy in. So some of them are saying that the Wild Rose side wanted to see the books for a very long time, and they weren't allowed to see the books. So if that is indeed the case, then them not being allowed to see the books by, you know, Brian Jean or by Wild Rose Caucus leadership at the time, it's unlikely they're going to want to turn around and give <laughs> give 40 grand when yeah. they, if they indeed were asking to see the books and they weren't allowed to. Now, I was also told that um, MLAs were showing the books quarterly and it was opened up to them and they could have a look every, every quarter. But then the, on the PC side, they were allowed to look at them whenever they wanted. So there's that kind of mm-hmm. imbalance mm-hmm. as well, if indeed that is that is correct. But you're right about the member services allowance. I had no idea that they could give that over to caucus. Yeah. And I checked with the speaker's office and he went, oh, yeah, that's fine. Like, really? Yeah, I know. That is that is a little strange. But, I mean, there may be a good rationale for it. I've just never heard of it before. So just to back up, so you're saying that you've heard that the party who's frustrated with the level of government transparency wasn't being transparent with its own caucus oh mm-hmm. you picked up on that yeah no. <laughs> yeah. yeah this is iron august has been irony month for the united <laughs> conservatives i think after the Derek fildebrandt issue and now this it's just all you know i i don't mean to laugh these are serious things and people have jobs at at stake here obviously but it is it's kind of funny to see the uh 
all of this is falling at the feet of the conservative party who has uh, argued for more government transparency, more government accountability, less government spending. And now they've also argued for government, uh, government to cut jobs. And now they're faced with having to cut jobs. I'm sure they love that. Well, on that note, politically, what do you think the fallout here is going to be? Well, it's, it was interesting to me, like, this has not been a good n- month for the new leader, Nathan Cooper. This has been what? a tough month for him. And he's yeah. only been on the job a month. He's only got two months to go. We used to say poor Brian Jean, but now it's like, oh, poor Nathan, Nathan Cooper. Cooper. <laughs> I know. Well, it started with those past comments he made about uh, abortion and, and gay rights. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he defended those off as best he could. But then this is happening on his watch, this deficit in the caucus, Derek Filderbrand leaving and him having to... Um, make a statement about you know how he feels about Filderbrand. This is uh, this is uh, this is tough. This is uh, I know he's a new leader, um, but I, he hasn't looked real smooth at this so far. So and really interim leaders are supposed to be caretakers. That's yeah. you know Dave Hancock was a caretaker premier. He was the interim premier. Nothing really big happened on his watch. He kind of had to deal with the uh, Allison Redford followed, but he's like, eh, someone else will be doing this in six months. He was chucked in the deep end for yeah. sure. It's like they just kind of threw him in the deep end of the pool and they went, well, there's a life jacket there. See, see how it goes, mate. <laughs> and then he just had to do his best. But do you think there's going to, so you've got, um, you've got obviously Kenny, the uh, Kenny and Jean. Do you think Kenny's going to use this as proof that Gene can't financially. It'd be interesting to see if he does try it. It wouldn't. I suspect if the if he feels the race is not going well for him, this is this is something he would he would try to hit Gene with. Although it's hard to say how much of this is actually Gene's fault. Hmm. On my Twitter feed, I'm seeing more of people who are tend to be on the left being more like ah ha ha the irony. And see, they they can't manage money either. So it seems to be doing them a little bit of damage. But I don't know how much that's going to matter because it's a leadership race right yeah. now. And non-UCPers aren't going to be voting on that. It's not going to, you know, it's it's not the kind of thing that's going to last for two years. Yeah. You know, we have an election in two years. Right now, it may hurt one of the leadership candidates' chances in the leadership race. But after that, it's all going to be uh, parties hitting each other over platforms i you know i can't see this sticking with voters yeah it's in the twitter echo chamber this is the kind of thing that this is raw meat for the lions right this is it's even even me it's like it's kind of fun to watch it's a little bit of schadenfreude it's it's enjoyable it's a late summer political haha <laughs> and usually late summer is pretty dead politically yes yeah. This has not been the case this August. Not with the UCP. No. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, let's move on to financials just briefly. This was... <laughs> I don't think there's anything came out of this that we weren't expecting. We've still got the exact same deficit. or oh, up a little tiny, maybe nudged it up a little bit. But uh, were you surprised by anything that came out of here? Any of you? You're was, all like shaking your su- heads at me, aren't you? No. Not surprised about the deficit. Obviously, I wasn't aware in the budget in the spring that they had stuck in this what was it, $500 million uh, risk adjustment? Oh, yeah, that was last budget they had last that budget. didn't okay. really use it. Yeah, but yeah this you time. know, so I was kind of surprised about the fact that we're only a quarter through the year. We've already gone through half of the cushion that they put in place. The deficit could have been bigger. Um, we could have, you know, we, we could by the end of the year, if they run out that cushion, if, if oil prices stayed low i know they downgraded their 
projection for oil prices, but you could see the deficit creep up to $11 billion. Whether that's a huge deal, considering it's already $10.5 billion, you know, but that was kind of surprising. That was my one, like, oh, I didn't realize that they, A, had that, and B, that so quickly through the year, they've already gone through half of it. Yeah, and if you factor that in, their financial position is actually worse yeah. than, than at budget, uh, can, you know, significantly worse. Um, you know, 10.4 to, I guess, 10.7 if you add the... Uh, the contingency in there. Um, I, it was one of the tricks of the former PC government that they would uh, set a very conservative budget, um, you know, plan for a, a certain kind of surplus or a certain kind of deficit. And then at the end of the year go, oh, look, things are so much better than we actually said they were going to be. A little bit of good news at the end of the year. So I wonder if the NDP is trying to set something up like that. The fact that they, they downgraded their oil projection price, um, you know, maybe they are trying to set up some good news for for the end of um, the fiscal year in, in March 31st next year. But uh, that that's the only thing I can think of at this point because otherwise it's just continual bad news and, it, and they continue to give the UCP a big stick to, to whack them with. So mm. I'm not sure. Um, I, I, was, I was a little surprised actually that it wasn't better because we hear and we see that the economy is supposedly better here. And so it did, but it doesn't seem to be reflected on the bottom line of the government right now. Of course, Finance Minister Joe Sisi likes to use the term green shoots in the economy. So I said, well, what what are we now? Are we at a garden? Are we shrubbery? Are we trees? He couldn't give me a good gardening metaphor, and I'm going to say I was very disappointed in that. We're still stuck with green shoots, and the green shoots that are there aren't necessarily the green shoots that are good indicators of a really strong economy. They're not private sector jobs. You have a lot of entrepreneurial startups it's too early to try and say that word but we have a lot of small <laughs> we have a lot of uh, people trying to start up their own businesses which is a positive but we don't have the the associated jobs that come along with it people are employed again only because they've set up something for themselves or they've gotten employment through the public sector but we don't have that pickup in private sector jobs yet mm. so we're not at a garden or a shrub or a flower. You don't think so? No. We're getting, like it is, there have been improvements. There, There is positive signs in the economy, but we're not at that point yet where there's a, a big number of full-time private sector jobs. Claire, did you have anything to add on the budget stuff? I just keep thinking about your shaky full metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think it was pretty clear from, from your story anyway, that it's just a, a very shaky situation. And We'll have to see what happens throughout the rest of the year. But I think it's interesting to hear what um, Keith was saying about setting up good news. I feel like that would make sense as a strategy. So it would be interesting if, if to see if that's what they're actually trying to do. Well, Although that, we'll see what the price of oil is. Well, that's what, you, that's what the Tories did. They lowballed oil. And then, hey, at the end of the year, look how good oil was and look at our big surplus. Um, Aren't we great fiscal managers? The NDP started off the beginning of the year with an oil forecast that I think a lot of people said was way out of line, that people weren't right. pre- predicting $57 oil. And where, were the, where was the government getting these numbers? But I think the government wanted to paint a rosy picture in their budget that, hey, if oil stays up, we'll be not great because we're still in a big deficit position. And we're racking up a bunch of debt, but we won't, it won't be as bad as it was last year. But they had to downgrade their their oil projection. Right. Yeah, right. Because oil went from fifty five bucks a barrel down to forty eight bucks a barrel. Yeah. Well, for the NDP's sake, though, I think their political fortunes they they do need some good news at the end of this because, as much as people um, criticize the carbon tax, and that is certainly going to be an election issue in twenty nineteen, this continual 
deficit and debt situation, I think, is going to be as big an issue in the next election if they don't get this fixed. Because double-digit deficits, this is just not a thing we're used to in Alberta. And if they continue, um, I think that is going to be as big uh, an issue in the election uh, for Jason Kenney or Brian Jean or whoever winds up leading the, the, the UCP. And speaking of Jason Kenney, segue, Ayo. Um <laughs> he turned down free tickets to Katie Lang this week. Yep, he did. Why would anyone do that? I don't know, Claire. You can only hear constant craving so many times in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Disagree. <laughs> okay, so set the scene up. So on Twitter... Uh, Katie Lang, uh, well, Jason Jason Kenny declined to go to Pride. Um, Katie Lang offered tickets on Twitter to her concert in exchange for a sit-down chat about LGBTQ rights. And um, after some Twitter exchange, I think, with a staffer, we learned that uh, Jason Kenny was too busy to go to the concert and would be uh, turning down the tickets. And um, I don't know why you would. She's a national treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess my big question in that whole exchange is uh, what harm would come from from sitting down with someone who is so respected by so many Canadians to chat about LGBTQ rights when obviously that's such a hot point <laughs> for Jason Kenny, right? If he did go and do it, like sit down, was there, there? I don't think there was ever a hope he was going to. I mean, yeah, no one's surprised. No one, no one is surprised. He, by this. He's had other opportunities in the in the past to sit down with gay rights leaders uh, to attend Pride and has declined them all. So this isn't a, a huge surprise, but this one's a more direct kind of uh, attack on him in some ways. It was quite smart, I think, by Katie Lang. Um, I don't know who, you know, how she came up with it, but this was a, you know, sort of a direct challenge to Jason Kenny. Hey, get on board with us. Yeah. You know, I, I, there was some kind of talk uh, on, there was talk on Twitter. There's, um, it was Mike Morrison, Mike who Morrison. is, of course, he's from Calgary yeah. and he's a blogger and he'd said, hey, hey, Jason, you say you don't come to Pride events because no, no one invites you. Well, using my gay card, I invite you to this, 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 this. Then he suggested they go to Katie Lang concert. Of course, it's very expensive, so perhaps they could, you know, go halvesies on the ticket, at which point Katie, Katie Lang, Lang jumped, jumped in, in yeah. and said, hey, oh, free tickets. You know, it... For him to have said yes would have been nothing. Would have been no small thing that he he just could have done it and gotten a lot of cred in a community that doesn't like him and among voters who don't like him. But he's also in the middle of a leadership race uh, where I think a lot of his base don't really see LGBTQ as a big issue for them. So is he pandering to his base by saying no? Did he make a mistake by saying no? You know, I, I look at it and think he doesn't necessarily have to go, but he can't use the excuse that no one's inviting him. Yeah. That's what, you know, the, the whole notion that, oh, I've never been invited. I'm sure you've been invited before. You were a federal minister for Calgary. I'm sure someone invited you before and you probably said no. I, so, so he can't use that excuse anymore. And he probably should never have been using that excuse. Yes, the UCP was denied entry into the parade because the organizers of pride felt that uh it wasn't a good fit uh to have ucp there based on any number of issues over the years right and their lack of a policy too they don't have an lgbtq policy 
Which, of course, I've turned around and got one now. Yes. <laughs> I think it's interesting, though, how it's becoming less and less acceptable kind of in the public view for po- politicians to not go to Pride. I mean, like you saw this with Rob Ford in Toronto. He continually continually didn't go to Pride there, and it became such a huge issue for people who felt like he wasn't representing them. And, um, and at this point, to be honest, I just kind of feel like um, with Jason Kenney, like despite what your personal views might be towards L- LGBTQ rights, really going to Pride kind of seems like another step on the campaign trail for every politician. So why aren't you going? But in Calgary, they've also kind of set a hard line and they're not letting, they're not letting, who was it from the UCP who wanted to go in the parade? Was it Gene? It was Gene, yeah. Yeah. But I think... They've, they've said, you know, no. And they said to the Calgary police, due to past issues that uniformed police officers uh, have created within the gay community, uniformed police officers can't march. Members can march, but they can't be in uniform. So um, I'd be curious if Rob Ford was the mayor of Calgary. Um, He seems like he'd be such a good fit in Calgary. But if Rob Ford had been (laughs) the mayor of Calgary, would he have been allowed to go? He's like, yeah, he he was seen as someone who shunned the LGBTQ rights movement. Would they have let him go? But I think in terms of, I guess if you're thinking about a long-term strategy, then surely it's a good idea to at least make an appearance at Pride despite your ability to fully campaign. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, with Jason Kenney, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, there just seems to be no interest on his part to address this issue whatsoever. Uh, He knows this is a problem for him, that this is a community that doesn't like him, that uh, people um, feel like he is uh, insensitive to this group. Um, I think it's probably going to cost him votes in certain uh, uh, certain parts of the province. No interest that I have seen that he wants to address this in any way. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe he's done the calculation. And he says, "Well, I don't need him. I can win it without them." Um, At some point, you cut your yeah. losses, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you just say, "Well, that's time I could better spend drumming up support among my home base, especially when I'm in a leadership race against Brian Jean, who is, you know, really popular in Alberta." Yep. Yeah. So pick your battles, I suppose, is what they say. The busy excuse was just, I mean, use any other excuse. (laughs) (laughs) He is very busy, Claire. He's running a leadership campaign. That's true. You know, you can't just do that on the fly. You can't just do that part way. Everyone needs a night (laughs) off for a Katie Lang concert. (laughs) Well, to be clear, he didn't actually say no himself publicly, right? His director of communications did, right? uh, Kenny, I I don't think, has actually said anything at all. He he has just completely ignored the whole thing, which is kind of what Kenny does. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If there's something incredibly controversial, he just generally just won't even address it and just lets... Um, yeah, his director of communications address it for him or, you know, let other people do the talking on his behalf or just kind of, he floats above the fray right. is kind of a way of putting it. Um, right. I, I don't think anyone's surprised that this is <laughs> this is what Jason Kenney did and turns down free tickets to uh, to Katie Lang. And I think as a fiscal conservative, though, it would have been economically good sense. I mean, if nothing else, he could have resold them, right? <laughs> that that <laughs> might have also looked kind of bad. Probably. Um, okay, let's move to our regular segment. Good stuff from the gallery. Claire, what do you have for us this week? Sure, I'm actually going to recommend a podcast. I walk to work, so I listen to a couple of podcasts a day. And I listened to a fantastic one this week um, called Where the Sun Don't Shine, which is actually a segment from Radio Lab. 
but it's um, oh. very uh, kind of science nerdery, which I embrace. And <laughs> um, it's very, very interesting. It's about the 40th anniversary of the launch of the Voyager space probe. And the probe is oh. still in space, still taking photos. And it's about where it is now and um, what amazing things in the universe it has seen. Nice. Kate? Yeah, I'm going to recommend a piece called uh, Rebel Without Applause, How Ezra Levant Built an Extreme Right-Wing Media Juggernaut and Saw It All Begin to Unravel. This is by Richard Warnica, oh, who used yeah. to work here at the, at the Edmonton Journal, actually, a few years ago, uh, in the National Post. Uh, and it's uh, some people will see it as a hit job on Ezra. Um, I know he's getting a lot of criticism, uh, Richard Warnica is, for, for the, the piece. But uh, to me, I found it very compelling, the level of detail that he, he uh, gets into about Ezra's past and his uh, the controversy of his public life. And then also, he also does a really good job of, of an analyzing the rebels' connection to the, the counter-jihad movement, this idea that Muslims are slowly trying to take over the Western world, and how the rebel has has, uh, has a foot in that door. Uh, I found it very compelling. Nice. Uh, it's a long read, but it's very good. So make a cup of tea and get some biscuits first. Mm-hmm. Or cookies, as you people call them in North America. Um, I'm going to recommend a piece on Politico. It is a really fascinating read about uh, Colorado Springs and its experiment with libertarianism. So it was facing some real budget issues a few years ago, and it, it just kind of hacked and slashed away, and people would have to pay to keep their own streetlights on. And it was just this really odd kind of way of doing government. Um, So many years on, it kind of revisited Colorado Springs to see what the results of this exceptional small government um, approach was. And it's an excellent read, and I highly recommend it. Does it resemble, uh, you know, Fury Road or anything like that? (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to read to find out. I guess I will. Dave? A little closer to home with mine. It's a piece that McLean's uh, released yesterday. It it's called Boxing Saved Him, Then He Killed a Man in the Ring. It's another look at the Adam Braidwood-Tim Haig fight. Um, Tim Haig was, uh, died shortly after he was knocked out by Adam Braidwood. It takes a little bit of a closer look at both of the fighters, and including, which we hadn't, I hadn't really seen anywhere after, but Adam Braidwood um, has a bit, of a bit of a colorful history. He was a former Edmonton Eskimos player. Then he got injured, then he uh, became addicted to drugs and alcohol, and then he got into trouble with the law, and then he wound up in jail. And he got out of jail, and he started fighting. Um, And it takes a bit of a look at the lead-up from both fighters' perspectives. Uh, It was a really compelling read, and I I think as uh, we get closer to the UFC fight here, and uh, there's a lot of pressure from Haig's family to force the investigation into Tim's death to move forward. Uh, it's a bit of a good way to catch up on what happened and how we got to the point where he died. Nice. Uh, I forgot your name and I nearly called you Kevin. Do you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> You've yeah, only known me time. for three years, but that's okay. <laughs> Claire, Keith, Dave and Sean Butts here to film some of this and put it online at edmontonjournal.com. Thank you all so very much for joining me on the Press Gallery podcast. You can find all our past episodes on edmontonjournal.com. You can also sign up to our SoundCloud, iTunes or TuneIn Radio and get all the latest episodes blasted right to you through the internets. Hopefully you join us again this time next week on the Press Gallery. Mm-hmm.